Hey, this is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's guests are Greg Brockman, Shimon Sador, and Sam Altman. Greg is the CTO and co-founder of OpenAI. Shimon is also at OpenAI. He's a research scientist there. And before we get going, if you haven't yet subscribed or reviewed the podcast yet, that would be awesome if you did. All right, here we go. Now, if you look forward to what's going to happen uh, over upcoming years is the hardware for these applications for running neural nets really, really quickly uh, are going to get fast, faster than people expect. Um, and I think that what that's going to unlock is you're going to be able to scale up these models and you're going to see qualitatively different behaviors from what you've seen so far. Um, at OpenAI, we, we see this sometimes. For example, we had a paper on this uh, unsupervised uh, learning uh, where you train a, uh, a language model to uh, you, tra- you train a model to predict the next character in Amazon reviews. And just by learning to predict the next character in Amazon reviews, some- somehow it learned a state-of-the-art sentiment analysis classifier. And so it's kind of crazy if you think about it, right? You just were told, hey, predict the next character. And, you know, if you were told to do this, well, the first thing you do is you'd learn the spelling of words and you learn punctuation. And the next thing you do is you start to learn semantics, right? If you have extra capacity there. And that this effect goes away if you use a slightly smaller model. And what happens if you have a slightly larger model? Well, we don't know because we can't run those models yet. Mm. Um, but in upcoming years, we'll be able to. What do you guys think are the most promising underexplored areas in, in AI uh, if we're trying to make it come faster? Uh, what should people be working on that they're not? Yeah, so uh, there are many areas of AI that we already developed by quite a bit. There is uh, there's some uh, some basic research in um, just classification, deep learning, and reinforcement learning. And what people do is people kind of try to invent problems and the, such as solving some complicated games of hierarchical structure. And they try to add um, kind of extra features to their models to combat those problems. But I think there's very little research happening on, on actually understanding the existing methods and their limits. Uh, so, uh, so for example, it, it was a, Long had believed in deep learning uh, that uh, kind of to parallelize uh, the um, to, to parallelize your computation, you need to cram as as small batches as possible on every on every device. And in fact, Baidu did this impressive engineering feat where they uh, where they took recurrent neural networks and they implemented the kind of GPU assembly code uh, to make sure that you can fit like batch size one RNNs uh, on every GPU. And, you know, it, it, despite like all those smart people working on those problems, like only very recently did Facebook kind of took a cold, quiet look at, at just like very basic problem of classification. And uh, they, in their great paper called uh, Image That in One Hour, they showed that if you actually take a code that does image classification and if you fix all the bugs, you actually can get away with much larger batch size and therefore <laughs> finish the classification problem much faster. And, you know, it's not the kind of sexy research that people want to see where you have like some hierarchical big RNN, but, but it actually, this kind of research, I think, uh, at this point will advance field the most. So, Greg, you mentioned hardware in your initial answer. Um, in the near term, what are the actual like innovations that you foresee happening? Um, so, the big change is that uh, the kinds of computers that we've been trying to make really fast are general-purpose computers that are built on the von Neumann architecture. You know, you basically have a processor, you have a big memory, and uh, you have you have some 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 bottleneck between the two. Um, with the applications that we're starting to do now, suddenly you can start making use of massively parallel compute. Um, that the architectures that these models can run on sort of the fastest are going to look kind of like the brain, where, you know, the brain is basically you have a bunch of, of, of neurons that all have their own memory uh, right near to them and that they all talk to their neighbors and maybe there's some, some kind of longer range skip connections and that just no one's really had incentive to develop hardware like this. And so what we've seen is that, well, you move your neural networks from running on a CPU to a GPU, mm-hmm. and now suddenly you have 1,000 CUDA cores running in parallel, uh, and that you can get massive performance boosts there. Now if you move to specialized hardware uh, that is uh, sort of much more brain-like uh, and uh, that, that runs a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, that sort of runs in parallel uh, with a bunch of tiny little cores, um, that, that you're going to be able to run these models sort of insanely faster. Okay. Um, so I think one of the most common questions or threads of question that were asked on Twitter and Facebook 
were generally how to get into AI. Um, could you guys give us just a, a primer of where someone should start if they're, you know, just a CS major in college? Um, yeah, absolutely. So it really depends on, on the nature of the project uh, that you would like to do. Um, I can tell you a bit about uh, our project, which is um, essentially developing large-scale reinforcement learning for uh, Dota 2. Uh, and their majority of the work is actually engineering and, you know, like essentially taking, uh, you know, taking, um, taking the algorithms that we have already implemented and, um, trying to scale them up is usually the, uh, is, is usually the fastest way to get, uh, improvement, uh, in, um, in, in our experiments. So, so essentially Becoming a good engineer for our team is much more valuable than, for example, people spending, um, you know, months upon months uh, implementing uh, exotic models in TensorFlow. So, so, so just to echo this, because it, I hear this come up all the time, people say it's like my dream to work at OpenAI, but I got to go get an AI PhD, so I'll see you in like five or seven years. If people are just a really solid engineer, but no experience at all with AI, how long does it take someone like that to become productive for the kind of work at OpenAI that, we, that we're looking for? So someone like that can actually become productive from day one. And that there's, uh, with, with different engineers who show up in open AI, there's a spectrum of where they, te- where they end up specializing. Um, there are some people who focus on building out infrastructure, um, and that, uh, that actually this infrastructure can range from, well, we have a big Kubernetes deployment, uh, that we run on top of, of, uh, you know, a cloud platform and, uh, building tooling and monitoring, uh, and sort of managing this, this underlying layer and actually looks quite a bit like, running a startup uh, and that, that a lot of the people who are most successful at that have quite a bit of, you know, running at large scale in a startup or, or production environment. Um, there's kind of a next level of getting closer to the, to the actual machine learning, where if you think of, of how machine learning systems look, that they tend to be this like magical black box of machine learning that's this, this core. And you actually try to make that core be as small as possible because machine learning is really hard, eats a lot of compute. It's really hard to tell what's going on there. And so you want it to be as simple as possible, but then you surround it by as much engineering as you possibly can. So what, what percent of the work on the Dota 2 project would you guys say was what people would really think of as like machine learning science versus engineering? Essentially, like as, as, as far as day-to-day work goes, the, the, this kind of work was almost non-existent. There was like maybe few person weeks spent on that uh, compared to like person most spent engineering. And I, I think m- m- maybe placing some good bets was, uh, was, was one of it. Good I, bets on the machine learning side? On the machine learning side, yeah, uh, and they're often about more about what not to do rather than what to do. Um, so at the very beginning of the project, we knew we wanted to solve a game, a hard game. We didn't know exactly which one we wanted to do uh, because these are you know great test beds for pushing the limits of our algorithms. And that one of the great things about and, it too, and just to be clear, you guys are two of the key people. But the entire team was like ten people. That about, did 10 people. about ten people. That's right. And, you know, these things, good test beds for algorithms, see what the limits are to really push the limit of what's possible. And you know for sure that when you've done it, that you've done it. It's very binary testable. And uh, so uh, actually the way that we selected the game uh, was we went on, on Twitch and just looked down the list of most popular games in the world and uh, started, you know, number one is League of Legends. Um, the thing about League of Legends is it doesn't run on Linux and uh, uh, it doesn't have a game API. And little things like that actually are the biggest barrier to making AI progress in a lot of ways. And so looking down the list, Dota actually uh, was the first one that kind of had all the right properties, runs on Linux, uh, that it has a big community around replay parsing, uh, that uh, there's a built-in Lua API. Uh, it was actually, this API was meant for script or for, for building mods rather than for building bots. Um, and we were like, but we could probably use it to build bots. And the, uh, uh, the, you know, one of the, one of the great things about Valve as a company is that they're very into having these open hackable games where people can go and do a bunch of custom things. And so kind of uh, philosophically that it was, it was very much the right kind of company to be working, to be working with. Um, so the, uh, we, we, we actually did this initial selection back in November, uh, and we were working on some other projects at the time. And so it didn't really get started until, until late in December. And, uh, 
One of the funny things is that by total coincidence, uh, in mid-December, Valve released a new bot-focused API and that they were saying, hey, our bots are are famously bad, that maybe the community can solve this problem, so we'll actually build an API specific for it for people to do this. And that was just one of those coincidences of the universe that just worked out extremely well. Um, So uh, we were kind of in close contact with the developer of this API um, and uh, uh, kind of all all throughout. Uh, So... At the very beginning of the project, well, what are you going to do, right? And so the first thing was we had to become very familiar with this game API to make sure we understood all the little semantics and you know all the all of the different the different corner cases, um, and also to make sure that we could run this thing at large scale and to turn it into a pleasant development environment. And so at the time it was just two of us. One person was working with the bot API, building a scripted bot. And so basically this is the learn all the game rules, think really hard about how it works. Um, this this the particular person who wrote it, uh, Raffle. Um, has uh, played about uh, three or four games of of Dota in his life, but he's watched over a thousand hours of of Dota <laughs> and gameplay, and has now written the best the best Dota scripted bot in the world. And uh, uh, so that you know, sort of uh, uh, a lot of just writing this thing in Lua, uh, getting very intimately familiar with with all those details. In the meanwhile, what I was working on was trying to figure out how do you turn this thing into a Docker container. Uh, and so they, we had this whole build process. Uh, Turns out that Steam can only be in offline mode for two weeks at a time, that they pushed new patches all the time. So you needed to go from this, like, you know, sort of manually download the game and whatever to actually have an automated repeatable process. Uh, it turns out that, uh, it's, uh, the, the full game files are about 17 gigabytes and that our Docker registry can only support five gigabyte layers. And so I, I had to write a thing to like chunk up things into five gigabyte tarballs and put those in S3 and slurp them back down. So a bunch of sort of like things there where it's really just about figuring out what the right workflow is, what the right abstractions are. And then the next step was, well, we know we want to be writing our bots in TensorFlow and Python. Um, how do you how do you get that? So why was that? Well, because so machine learning, um, you know, that it's actually quite interesting that a lot of the highest order bit on progress, just like having the game API is a high order bit. Yeah. It's also can you use tools that are familiar and, and sort of easy to iterate with um, before the world of of uh, kind of modern machine learning frameworks ever write their their code in, in MATLAB. If you had a new idea, it would take you two months to do it. Like good good luck making progress yeah and so it was really all about iteration speed and so if you can get into the python world well we have these large code bases that we built up of high quality algorithms uh, that there's just so much tooling built around it that that's like the optimal uh, experience and so the next step was to port the scripted bot into python and so the way i did that was i literally just renamed all of the dot lua files to dot pi <laughs> commented out the code and then started uncommenting function by function and then you know you run the function you get an exception you then yeah. like go and uncomment whatever code it depends on and as mechanically as possible i tried to be like a human transpiler and uh you know that lua is one index python zero index so you have to do that that lua has uh doesn't distinguish between an array type and a, and a dictionary type and so you kind of have to disambiguate those two but for the most part i did something that could have been like sort of totally mechanically done and it's great because i didn't have to understand any of the game logic i didn't have to understand anything that was going on on under the hood i could basically just port over and and it just kind of it just kind of came together um, but then you end up with a small set of functions that you do not have implementations of which are all of the, the, the actual api calls mm. and so i ended up with a file with a bunch of dummy calls and I knew exactly which calls I needed and then implemented on top of gRPC a uh, protobuf-based uh, protocol where uh, on every tick, the game would dump the full game state, send the diff over the wire, reassemble that into an in-memory state object in Python, and then all of these API methods would be implemented in Python. And so at the end of this, you know, it sounds like a bit of a Frankenstein process, uh, but it actually worked really well. And in the end, we had something that looked just like a typical OpenAI gym environment. And so all you have to do is you say, Jim.make this, you know, Dota environment ID, and suddenly you're playing Dota, and that your Python code just has to call into some some you know object that implements the the Lua API, and suddenly these characters are running around the screen doing what you want. Um, and so this was like a lot of the, the kind of thing that 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 I was working on in the pure engineering side. And, and actually, you know, kind of t- t- as time went on, so Shimon and Jakob and, uh, uh, and Jay and, and others joined the project. And uh, a lot, most people were building on top of this API and really didn't have to dig into any of the underlying implementation details. Um, you know, so personally, my one machine learning contribution to the project, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that. Because, you know, my background is primarily startup engineering, building, building large infrastructure, not sort of machine learning, definitely not a machine learning PhD. I didn't even finish college. Um, 
So the, I, I kind of reached a point where I'd gotten the infrastructure into a pretty stable point that I felt like, all right, like I don't have to be fighting the fires there very constantly. I have some time to actually focus on digging some of the machine learning. Um, one particular piece that we were interested in doing was behavioral cloning. So we had uh, one, of, one of the systems that we had built was to go and download all of the replays uh, that, that, that uh, are, are published each day. And so the way this wow. game works is that there's about 1.5 million replays that are available for public download. Um, Valve clears them out after two weeks. And so you have to have some discovery process. You have to stick them in S3 somewhere. Originally, we were downloading all of them every day and realized that was about two terabytes worth of data a day. Uh, <laughs> that adds up up quite quickly. So we ended up filtering down to the uh, sort of most expert players. Uh, but we wanted to actually take this data, parse it, and use it to clone the behavior for a bot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time with like sort of, you know, it's basically this, you have to need this whole pipeline to download the replays, to parse them, to, uh, you know, kind of iterate on that, to then take it, train a model, and uh, try to try to predict what the behavior would be. And, uh, you know, at first, it's just like, like one thing I find very interesting is the sort of different workflow that you end up with when doing machine learning. Like there are a bunch of things where when software engineers join OpenAI uh, that are just very surprising. For example, if you look at a typical research workflow, you'll see a lot of files named like, you know, experiment, uh, whatever the name of the experiment is, one, two, three, four, and you look at them and they're just like slight forks of the same thing. And you're like, isn't this what version control is for? Like, why are you doing that? <laughs> and after doing this 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 cloning project, I learned exactly why. Because the thing is, if you have a new idea for, okay, well, I've kind of got this thing working, and now I'm going to try something slightly different. As you're doing the new thing, well, machine learning is, is to some extent very binary. The, 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 at the start, it just like doesn't work at all, and you don't know why. Or it kind of works, but it has some weird performance, and you're not sure exactly, is it a bug? Is it just how this data set works? Like, you just don't know. And so if you've gotten it working at all, and then you make a change. You're always going to want to go back and kind of compare to the previous thing you had running. And so you actually do want the new thing running side by side with the old thing. And if you're constantly stashing and unstashing and checking out and whatever, then you're just going to be sad. And, and uh, there are a lot of like kind of workflow issues like that that mm-hmm. you just you got to bang your head against the wall. And then you see like, oh, I've been enlightened. And- so but before we progress further on the story, um, can you just explain the basics of training a bot in a game? Like how are you actually giving it the feedback? Oh, um, yeah, so so on a high level, we are using uh, reinforcement learning with self-play. So that what that means, I mean, it's, 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 it's no rocket science, even though like reinforcement learning sounds so fancy. Like uh, essentially what's happening is uh, we have a bot uh, which uh, observes some state uh, in the environment and performs some actions based on that state. And based on those actions, that it executes, then it continues playing and eventually, uh, you know, either that's well or poorly. So that can, that's something that we can quantify in a number. And that's more of an engineering problem than research problem, how to quantify how good the bot is doing, right? You need to come up with some metric. And then, you know, the bot gets feedback or whether, whether it's doing good or not. And then tries to select the actions that yield to high, that positive feedback to high reward. Eh. And, and to give us a sense for how well that works, so the bot plays against itself to get better, uh, once you had everything working, um, how good would a bot from day N do against a bot from day N minus one? So, so I guess we have a story that kind of illustrates uh, what to expect from, from those techniques. So when you started this project, uh, our goal wasn't to really do research. I mean, at some high level it was, but, but we are very goal oriented. All we wanted to do is we wanted to solve problem. Uh, right? We are, we want to solve dot f5v5 and we had our mice love dot v1. And the way it started, it was like early days when, when there was just Greg and Raphael and Raphael was implementing a scripted bot. So he just like literally write the logic. I think this is what bot should do. When he says, sees a creep, he needs to attack it, yada, yada. Uh, and he spent like three months of his time. And Rafa is actually a really good engineer. So we had a really good scripted bot. Uh, so, so what happened then? Uh, you know, we kind of like he got it to the point at which he didn't think he could improve it, uh, much more. So we tried, okay, let's, let's try some reinforcement learning. And, uh, you know, I, I was actually advocation at the time. Uh, but uh, there was, uh, other engineer, Jakub, uh, who, 
throughout my vacation, which I found super surprising. So I leave, there is nothing. I come back, there is this reinforcement <laughs> learning bot. And actually, it's beating our scripted bot after like week worth of engineering effort. Or possibly it was two weeks, but, but it was something very miniature compared to the development of scripted bot. So, so actually, our bot, which didn't have any assumptions baked about the game, figured out the underlying game structure well enough to beat anything that we could code by hand, which, which was uh, pretty amazing to see. And at what point do you decide to compete? In the tournament, ah, uh, well, so I yeah. <laughs> maybe I should finish up my story. And yeah. so, sorry if it's running a bit long, but no, it's good. Uh, it'll, it'll get good shortly. Uh, so, um, just just finish up my machine learning contribution. So, I uh, basically spent about a month really learning the workflow. Got something that like you know was able to to do some signs of life where it like run to the middle and you're like, oh, it knows what it's doing. <laughs> it's so good. And it's very clear like when you're just doing cloning that like these these algorithms like learn to imitate what it sees rather than the actual intent and so it'd get kind of confusing and like kind of run you know try to try to do some some like creep blocking or something yeah. but like the creeps wouldn't be around and so it'd just be like zigzagging <laughs> back and forth um and anyway i got this to the point where it was actually creep blocking pretty reliably pretty well and and then at that point i, I turned it over to jay who's also working on the project and he used reinforcement learning to fine-tune that um and so suddenly it went from only understanding the actions rather than the intent to suddenly it really knew what it was doing and it kind of has the best creep block that anyone has seen. And uh, so that was, that was my one machine learning contribution Congrats. to the project. Um, so time went on and uh, one of the most important parts of the project was having a scoreboard. So we had a metric on the wall which was the true skill of our best bot. So true skill is basically like an eagle-like uh, rating uh, that measures the win rate of, of your bot versus, versus others. Um, and you put that on the wall and each week people just try all the ideas and some of them work, some of them improve the performance. And uh, that we actually ended up with this very smooth, almost linear curve. So we posted it in a blog post um, and that that really means kind of like exponential increase in the strength of this bot over time. Um, and that part of that is, you know, sometimes these data points where you just train the same experiment for longer. Um, and, you know, typically our experiments would last for maybe up to two weeks. Um, but also a lot of those were, well, we had a new idea. We tried something else. You know, we made this tweak. We added this feature, removed this, this, this other component that, that wasn't necessary. Um, and so we knew that, so we, we chose the, the, the goal of 1v1. I, I don't recall exactly when, but it must have been, you know, in the, in the spring or maybe, maybe even early summer. And, uh, uh, but we really didn't know, are we actually going to be able to make it? And, you know, unlike normally when you're building an engineering system, you think really hard about all the components. It's like, well, you decompose it into this subsystem, that subsystem, that subsystem, and you can measure your progress as what percent of the components are built. Here, you really have ideas that you need to try out and that uh, it's sort of uh, uh, unpre unpredictable in some sense. And actually, one of the most important changes to the project in terms of making progress was initially the way that the project management was happening was that each week, well, so we'd written down our, our milestones of let's beat this person by this date, let's beat this other person by this date, let's you know be able to, 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 to do you know kind of these, these outcome-based milestones um, on, a, on kind of a weekly or biweekly basis uh, that uh, you know, those things would come and go and you wouldn't have them. And then what are you supposed to do? It's completely unactionable, right? It's like, yeah. it's not like there was anything else you could have done. It's just you have more ideas you need to try. Yep. And instead of shifting it to what are all the things we're going to try by next week? That's a good insight. And then you do that. And then, yeah, if you didn't actually do everything you said you were going to do, then you should feel bad. And then you should do more of it. And if you did all those and like it didn't work, then, you know, fair enough. But you achieved what you wanted to achieve. And so... um even going into uh, the international, so uh, two weeks before the international was kind of our cutoff mm -hmm. for uh, at this point, there's not much more we can do that we're going to do our biggest experiment ever, put all of our compute into one basket and see see where it goes. And uh, and at that point, like at two weeks out, how good was the bot? Oh, um, it was barely sometimes winning with professionals uh, that we had testing them. But not not even always. No, no, no. It, it sometimes happened. <laughs> so, so yeah. So to be, to be, yeah. So to be specific, I'm just spooling this back in. So July 8th is when we had our first win against our semi-pro tester, um, and then uh, a the, sequence of losses. A sequence of losses. <laughs> and then we were kind of more consistent with it. And then he went on vacation, and so he was on some laptop somewhere that was not very good. And then we were consistently beat him. beating yeah. him. <laughs> but that was not very reliable data. This was the week before the international, and so we didn't really know how good we were getting. We knew that the true skill was going up. When was the last? time that uh like an open ai employee beat the bot how far out was that from the profession i i think like a 
Montfort 2 before TI, although... Yeah, I'm not we're, we're not very good at Dota. Okay, yeah. but so like a month or two out, it could beat all the OpenAI people. Two weeks out, it could one time beat a semi-pro. Uh, I'd say so. So four four weeks was yeah the first the first time that it beat the semi-pro. Okay, and then you know two weeks out, we we don't know. We still can't really find out. I mean, I guess we could rerun that bot, yeah. but you know, we we really didn't know how good it was at that time. We just knew, hey, we're able to beat mm-hmm. our semi-pro occasionally, and. Uh, we going into into the international figured that hey there's a 50-50 shot and i think we were telling sam the whole way like uh you know the probability you, you, with these things you, you never really trust the probabilities you just trust the trend of the probabilities even that was just swinging wildly you guys would right. text me every night it would be oh we're gonna you know no chance we're not going oh we're definitely gonna win every game yep yeah yep and so it was very clear that our own estimates of of what was going to happen were, were were miscalibrated and, and, and throughout the, the the week of TI, actually, we we still didn't know. And what was happening is we. So we you, you guys all went to Seattle for this week. Uh, most of the team went there. Okay. Yes. So you're like holed up in a hotel or a conference center or something in Seattle. Uh, well, well, actually, the reality of it was that we were holed up like uh, near near the stadium okay. where the event well, was happening. Let, let, let me describe how we were holed up. So we we were given a locker room in the basement of Key Arena. Uh, so we we all had production badges, and so you feel very special as you walk in. You're just like, oh yeah, you know, like I just I just get to you know kind of go skip the line and uh, and go to the backstage area. Uh, but it was literally a locker room. Uh, they converted into a filming area and uh, that we all had our laptops in there and uh, that they would also bring in pr- pro players every so often. We had a whole filming setup and, uh, and then we'd play against the pros mm-hmm. and uh, we had, we had a partition that we set up, which was just like a, like a black cloth basically between like the whole team sitting there being like, are we going to be able to beat this pro <laughs> maybe and trying to be as quiet as possible. And these, you know, these, these pros who were playing and, uh, you know, on Monday, uh, they brought three or I think two pros and like one very high ranked analyst by. And, uh, we had our first game and, you know, we really didn't know what was going to happen. And we beat this person three, three zero. And, uh, you know, this was actually a very exciting thing for everyone at OpenAI where, uh, so at the time what I, I was, I was kind of live, uh, uh, live slacking, uh, the updates as the game is like this person, you know, just said this and like they're moving that and like, you know, now it's this many last hits. And, and, and yeah, were you winning by a large margin? So yeah, do you remember the details of that one? Uh, which game specifically? This was Blitz. Oh, Blitz. Uh, I think we won every game. Yeah, we did three three yeah. zero. I, I don't yeah. know exactly what the margin was. Okay. I mean, we we have all the data, but Valve brought in the second pro, uh, this this professional named PyCat, uh, and he played the bot, and we beat him once, we beat him twice, and then he beat us. Oh, okay. And that I uh, we, we looking at the game, we knew exactly what had happened. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, what happened is he accumulated uh, a bunch of one charges, right? There's this item that accumulates charges, and he accumulated more charges than our bot has ever seen in game, uh, <laughs> because just our bots don't. don't uh, it turn, turns out that like there was a small. I think it's safe to say. Kind of a bug in a in, setup. In Dota? Uh, in, in our setup. Oh, okay. So it basically, it passed some threshold that your bot was not ready for. Well, I, I'd say I very, very specifically that kind of the root cause here was that he had gone for an item, an early wand build. Okay. And we had just never done item early wand build. And so it's just like our bot had just never seen this particular item build before. Okay. And so it had never had a chance to really explore what does it mean? Like, and so it had never learned to save up stick charges and, and to use them and whatever. And so, um, that it would do is very good at calculating like who's going to win a fight. Wild. Okay. But, because, and, and Pygot kind of recognized that he's like, I wonder what happens if I push on this axis. And sure enough, it was an axis the bot hadn't seen. Um, and so then we played a third, we played a third match, um, against another pro, went 3-0 on that. And it's actually very interesting getting the pro's reactions because we also didn't really know, are they kind of fun? Like, <laughs> it's going to be cool. I think you're going to hate it. Yeah. And we got, we got a mix of reactions. You know, some, some of the pros were like, this is the coolest thing ever. I want to learn more about it. One of the pros was like, this thing's stupid. I would never use it. But apparently, hmm. uh, after the, the pros left that night, they spent four hours just like talking about the bot and kind of what, 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 what it meant. Yeah. And the, 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 the players were like, 
highly emotional in their reactions to to the bot. They were never beaten by the computer, uh, so, so 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 it is kind of unbelievable. So for example, uh, one of the players that actually managed to eventually beat the bot, he was like, okay, this this bot is effing useless. Like I, I never <laughs> want to see it. And then he kind of called down, and, and like after like five or ten minutes, he's like, okay, this is actually great. This is gonna improve my practice a lot. And and so after your bot, uh, it lost that first time. Did they start talking about counterintuitive strategies to beat it? Uh, well, so so I think at, at that point um, that you know I think that well, actually I don't know maybe you can you can answer that particular question. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't think pro players are interested in that. The pro players are mostly interested in the aspect where they it lets them get better at the game, which which means that. But but there was a point after the event where we set up this big LAN party where we had like 50 computers running the bot, we kind of unleashed this swarm of humans uh, to kind of add our bot. And, and they find found all the exploits. Uh, and um, we kind of expected them to, to be there because the bot can only learn as well as the environment uh, in which it plays allows it to, right? So there are some things that it just never seen. And of course, those, those, those ones will be exploitable. And, uh, we, we are kind of excited about our, you know, our next step, which is 5v5, because 5v5 is one giant exploit. Like essentially it's, it's about like exploiting the other team, like being where they don't expect you to be kind of like do, doing other distribution things. So, 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 Naturally, we know we will have to solve those problems head on for 5v5. Mm. Right. So one, one thing I think was pretty interesting about the training process is that a lot of our job while we were doing this was seeing what the exploits were and then making a small tweak that fixes them. And like the way that, that I now think about machine learning systems is that they're, they're really a way to make the leverage of human programmers go way up. Okay. Right. Because again, normally, like you, when you're building a system, you build component one, component two, component three, and that kind of your marginal return on like building component four is like you know similar to your marginal return on component one. Whereas here, a lot of the early stuff that we did is just like your thing goes from being like crappy to like slightly less crappy. But once we were at the international and we had this loss to PyCat, we knew okay, well the root cause here is just it's never seen this item build before. Well, all we had to do was make it tweak mm. to add that to our list of item builds. And then it played out oh, this scenario okay. for the next, you know, however long. Can, can you walk me through actually how that tweak works on the technical side? Because my impression is uh, kind of what you guys have been saying. It's just been in a million games. So it kind of has learned all this stuff. And uh, some people talk about, you know, these networks as just very gray and they don't actually know how to manipulate what. How are you guys getting in there and changing things? Uh, yes. So, so it's kind of funny. In some sense, on a high level, you can uh, compare this process to teaching a human. Like, you know, you, you know, like, kind of, you, you see a kid doing maths, and it's kind of like confusing, like addition with subtraction, suppose, right? And you're like, kind of like, look here, this symbol. This is, this is, oh, okay. this is, this is what you're not seeing clearly, right? And 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 the same with those tweaks to to, to our bot. So 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 clearly, our bot has never seen this uh, want build that uh, that Greg um, um, Greg mentioned. And uh, you know, all we had to do is we we had to say that like when you when the bot plays games and chooses what items to purchase. Uh, we just need to add some probability of sampling that specific build that it has never seen. And when, when it plays a couple of games against opponents that use that build, when it uses this build a couple of times itself, then, uh, then it kind of becomes more comfortable, uh, with the idea of what happens, what, what are the in-game consequences of, of, of that build. Okay. And, and kind of had a, so I have, I have kind of a couple, a couple different levels that answer that I think are, are pretty interesting. Um, so one is at a, you know, at a very like kind of, object level. So the way that these models work is you basically do have uh, a black box which takes in some list of numbers and outputs a list of numbers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very smart in how it does that mapping, but that's what you get. Yeah. And then you think of this as this is my primitive. Now what do I build on top of that so that as little work as possible has to be done inside of the learning here? Um, and a lot of your job is, well, one thing that we noticed that we'd forgotten as well on, on Monday was, well, it wasn't that we'd forgotten, we just hadn't gotten around to it, was... I, I, the passing in data that corresponds to the person, uh, 
was passing in uh, the visibility of a teleport. Mm -hmm. So as a human, you can see when someone's teleporting out. Our bot just did not have that feature. The list of numbers passed in did not have that feature. And so, well, one of the things you need to do is mm -hmm. you need to add it. And so that kind of goes from your feature is, you know, your feature vectors, however long it was, and now it's got one more one more feature on and it. And the bot wasn't recognizing that as an on-screen thing? So it doesn't see the screen. It's passed data from the bot API. Oh, okay. And so it really is given whatever data we give it. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of on us to do some of this feature engineering. And you want to do as much as you can to make it as easy as possible so that it has to do as little work inside as possible. So it can spend, you know, you think of it as you've got some fixed capacity. Do you want to spend that on learning the strategy? Do you want to spend it on learning how to like, you know, map, you know, choose which creep you want to hit? Like, do you want to spend that on trying to parse pixels? Like, you know, that, that, uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, that I think a lot of our job mm -hmm. as the, the system designers here is to push as much of that model capacity, as much of the, the learning towards the like interesting parts of the problem that, that you can't script, that you can't possibly do any processing for. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of one, one level is that a lot of the work ends up being identifying which features aren't there or mm -hmm. kind of engineering the, the, the observation and action spaces in an appropriate way. Um, Another thing is, I think, is like another level where you zoom out is like the way that this actually happened was, uh, so, you know, we're there on Monday and people got dinner and then Shimon and Jakob and Raffle and, uh, and Saiho and, uh, I think, you know, maybe one or, one or two others, uh, stayed up, uh, all night, uh, to do surgery on our running experiment. <laughs> okay. Um, and so it was very much like a, you've got your production outage and like yeah. everyone's there, like all hands on deck trying to go and, and, uh, and, and make the improvements. Yeah, so so spe specifically, like to kind of zoom in and to give you a bit of a feel, what what, what it felt like uh, working on the bot. Like you know, like this is like very tiring week. Every day we were like the, the day was just like meeting with the pros and kind yeah. of watching our bot getting excited, and the nights were kind of coding up the next version of experiment. Because actually, it's a little known fact, but from day to day, like each version of the experiment was not good enough to beat the next player, uh, next next day's professional. Oh. So 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 just that morning we would download the new parameters of the of the network and it would be good enough to beat it but the day before it wasn't how are you discerning that well this was this was again something of almost a coincidence i mean I yeah. think there there might be something a little bit deeper but so the you know kind of the full full story of the week was we did the monday play okay. and the, you know there we'd lost to pycat um, and so just to, just to clarify, are you guys in the competition or not in the competition? So the, the thing that we did was we did a special event, okay. uh, to play against Dendi, who's, you know, one of the, one of the best players of all time. And while we were there, uh, that we were also like, well, let's test this out against all these other pros because gotcha. they're physically here right now. And okay. let's see how we do. Got it. All right. So Monday happens, you start training it. But yep. And so, so, so actually, so yeah, so this experiment we've kicked off. Uh, you know, maybe sometime the prior week. Yep. And, uh, Two weeks before, I think. So, yeah. So, 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 something like that. And, uh, that we'd been running this experiment for a while and our infrastructure is really meant for you run an experiment from scratch. You know, you start from complete randomness and then, and then you run it. And then you, you two weeks later go and see how it does. We didn't have two weeks anymore. And so we had to do this surgery and this very careful, like, you know, oh. read every single character of your commit to make sure that you're not going to have any bugs. Cause if you mess it up, we're out of time. It's There's done. nothing you can do. Yeah. And it's not one of those things like if you're just a little bit more clever that you can, you know, go and do a hot patch and have everything be good. It's just literally the case that you got to let this thing sit here and it's got to bake. Yeah. And, uh, so Monday came and went. We were running this, this, this experiment, uh, that we performed surgery on. And, uh, uh, the, the next day we got a little bit of reprieve where we just played against some, some kind of lower ranked players who, uh, you know, are kind of commentators and popular in the community, but, you know, we're not pushing the limit of our bot. Um, on Wednesday, uh, at 1 PM, uh, our, our contact from, from Valve came by and said, Hey, I'm going to get you RTZ and Sumail, um, who are basically, you know, the top players in the world. Um, and I, I was like, could we push them off to <laughs> Thursday maybe? And, uh, he was like, their schedule's booked. Uh, you're going to get them when you get them. And, uh, that we're going to, we were scheduled to get them at 4 PM. Okay. So we looked at our bot, see how it was doing. And we kind of been along the way gauging it. Uh, we tested it against our semi pro player. And he said, this bot is, bot is completely broken. Like, oh no. And, you know, kind of pictures of maybe we had a bug during the surgery, like went through our head and he, he showed us the issue and he said, look, first wave, this bot takes a bunch of damage. It doesn't have to take. Mm -hmm. There's no advantage to that. I'm going to run and I'm going to go kill it. I'll show you how easy it is. He ran it to kill it and he lost. <laughs> 
Okay. Wait, wait, wait. And then again. And the, he but, but don't jump ahead. Explain what happened. So, so he played it five times and he lost each time until he finally did figure out how to exploit it. And we realized what was going on was that this bot had learned a strategy of baiting. You pretend to be a really dumb bot. Mm. You don't know what you're doing. And then when the person comes in to kill you, you just turn around and you go super bot. It was legitimately a bad strategy, you know, okay. if, if you're really, really good. But I guess it was good against the whole population of bots that it was playing against. And you had never seen it until that day. So, yeah, we, we had yeah, not yeah, seen that behavior. And we did not at all expect that it was like one of the major example, one of the major examples of the things that we uh, kind of didn't have explicit incentive for. And yet the bot uh, actually learned them. Um, and yeah, essentially, I mean, the, 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 it was kind of funny because, of course, when the bot played against its other versions, uh, it was just like good baiting strategy that was kind of out of distribution. But it got very interesting psychological effect on, on, on humans because optimal strategy was not to fall for the bait. It was kind of to wait it out a little bit because the bot already is at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. But he's like, okay, look how, look how stupid this bot is. I'm going to go for a kill. <laughs> right? So, so, so it kind of had interesting psychological effect on, on humans, which I thought was like, it's kind it of almost knows to, it's a bot. Yeah, it yeah. knows how it it's attacked. Yeah, yeah it almost, it's, it's funny to see a bot which kind of seems like it's playing with emotions of, of the... You have like, of course, it was not what actually happened, but it seemed this way. So, so, now, so now we were faced with a dilemma. It's 1 p.m. on Wednesday that these best players are going to be showing up at 4 p.m. We have a broken bot. What are we going to do? And we know that our Monday bot is not going to be good enough. We know mm-hmm. it's not going to cut it. And so the first thing we do is we're like, well, Monday bot, it is pretty good at the first wave. This new bot is a super bot thereafter. Okay. So can we stitch the two together? So we wrote, so, so we, we already, we, we had some code for doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of revived that. And then in the three hours, Jay spent his time, uh, doing a very careful stitch where you run the first bot and then you cut over at the right time to the second bot and, uh, um, and, and, and this is literally just like bot one plays the first X amount of time. And literally then bot just two that. Takes over. Literally just that. And, uh, he finished it 20 minutes before the, of course. before the thing. <laughs> we ran it by our semi pro. Semi pro is like, this is great. So we at least, we got that done in the nick of time. But the other question was, how do we actually fix this bot? And so, I the, mean, I actually just to finish, fi- finish your story was like one aspect because we are also kind of uncertain what happens when you switch over from one bot to, to the other. So I was actually standing by the, the, the pro who was playing it and I was looking at the timer at the moment when, uh, when it was switching. I was like, <coughs> uh, <laughs> distract the guy in case something stupid Just happens. to try to distract him for yeah. <laughs> And uh, of course it was probably completely unnecessary, but, uh, but we weren't sure what would happen there. So <laughs> I didn't know about that part of the story. Uh, so. The, the question of how do you actually fix it? So there was a little bit of debate of like, maybe we should abandon ship on this, switch back to our old experiment, run that one for longer. Um, and I forget, I forget who suggested it, but, um, someone was like, I think we just have to let it run for longer because you learn a strategy of baiting. Well, the counter strategy for that is just don't bait, mm. play well the whole time. And so we got that run for the additional three hours. And so we first played our TZ, uh, who showed up on, on our, our switch bot, you know, kind of the, the, the Franken bot. And, uh, you know, that beat him three times. And we're like, all right, let's try out this other bot and just see, uh, w- what happened with the additional three hours of training. Um, cause, you know, our semi protester at least validated that, like, it looks like it's fixed. And so in that three hours of training, how many games is it actually playing simultaneously? It's a good question. Quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so we, uh, uh, we played this new bot against Arteezy. Didn't know how it was going to do. And sure enough, it beats him. And, uh, and he, he loved it. He was having a lot of fun. He ended up playing 11 games that day. Uh, and, uh, or maybe, maybe it was 10, but uh, I think that, that he was just like, oh, this is so cool. Um, we were supposed to have Sumail that day as well, but due to a scheduling snafu, he had to be at some panel. And so like timing didn't work out. Um, but Arteezy and, and his coach, who, who also coaches, uh, uh, Sumail both said, or sorry, yeah, both said Sumail's gonna beat this bot. Like, it's gonna happen. You know, maybe he'll have a little bit of trouble to figure it out for the first game, but like after that, you're in trouble. And so, uh, you're like, all right, we've got one more day mm-hmm. to figure out what to do. And so what did we do? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just kind of like some nice dinner. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of what did you say? Uh, kind of went, went for some nice dinner. We, uh, we kind of rested a lot. We kind of chatted, you know, like, uh, you know, slacked with some people at home. And then, uh, in the morning, we download the new parameters of the network and just let it play. 
So we, we literally you just, just hung out and just let it go. Just let it play. It's the exact opposite of how I'm used to engineering deadlines happening. Yeah. Normally it's your work right up until the minute. <laughs> so you guys weren't like, you guys were getting like full nights of sleep, nice and relaxed. Oh like. no, no, absolutely not. Okay. So, so to make this clear, the night before the night, before the, uh, like two nights before the day where we got the rest and relaxation, the night looked something like the following. We had like, we had full day of dealing with the pros and kind of like emotional highs and so on. So it's absolutely knackered. Come midnight, we start working. Okay, we need to make all those changes. Like the one thing that we talked about uh, around midnight, uh, we start with four people. And we are also tired that like, you know, we look through all the commits that we are going to add to the experiments. There were actually two people looking at them because we didn't trust a single person given how tired we all uh, we all were. Uh, so they were like looking at, at those coins till 6 a.m. I was, I was doing this, like updating the model, which is a lot of nasty, like, off by one indexing thing. So even though it was a short call, it took me like six hours, uh, six hours to do. Uh, somewhere around 3 a.m. we had like a phone call with Azure <laughs> because uh, it turns out that with, with certain number of machines, you start exceeding some limits. So we tried to make them raise the limits. Um, and um, around 6 a.m. we are okay. We are ready to deploy this. Uh, and then there was, uh, deploying is just like one man job. So, so Yaku, Yaku was, uh, was, uh, was just like, you know, hitting, uh, like, like, you know, clicking the deploy and, and kind of fixing all the issues, uh, that, that, that came up. I was staying around just exclusively to make sure that Yakub doesn't fall asleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and eventually at 11 a.m., the experiment was running and we kind of went to sleep, like woke up at 4 p.m. or something. And then, then we, then it was like all. Wow. So it had, it had over 24 hours to train. Uh, I think I think it ended up being like one and a half day until the game of Samael. Or yeah, sorry, like yeah, just yeah, just to repeat the timeline. So this was Monday. It was when we played first set of games, had the loss, did the surgery that night. You know, played it. I guess starting at eleven on Tuesday. Then yeah, Wednesday, four p.m. is when we played our TZ and then trained for longer. I don't think we made any changes after that. Maybe we made some small yeah. ones. Uh, but um, then on Thursday is when we played Sumail. Okay. And yeah. so, that, so I think Tuesday to Wednesday was the night where we made last changes. So. Yeah. And uh, there was, there was like quite, quite a bit, like it's, 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 you know, there's quite a bit of different work going on that all kind of came together at once. Like one thing I think is really important was, uh, uh, so we, we, uh, uh, one, one of our team members, uh, his handle is Saiho, uh, who's a very well known program, programming competition, uh, competitor, um, was spending a lot of time just watching the bot play. And seeing why does it do this weird thing in this case? You know, what, where, what are all the like, you know, weird tweaks and really getting intuitions for, oh, because we're representing this feature in this way. And so if we change it to this other thing, then it's going to mm. work in a different way. And I think that like this really trying to, it's almost this very human like process of watching this like expert playing the game and try to figure out what are all the little micro decisions that are going into this macro uh, choice. And, uh, it's kind of interesting starting to have this very different relationship to the system you build because normally the way that you do it is well your goal is to have everything be very observable and so yeah you want to put metrics on everything and like you know that if something's not understandable add more logging like mm -hmm. you know that that's that's how you design the systems whereas here you have this you know you do have that for the surrounding mm -hmm. bits but for this machine learning core that there you really do have to understand it at more of a of a sort of behavioral level um was it ever stumping you where you're just like, oh, it's being creative in a way that we didn't expect it to, and it's, it may be even working, but you don't know why or how it decided to make that choice? Yeah, I think the the debating story that we debating is the main one is the main story. Like this, I, we got a few small ones, like where you know there, there was like some early days of the project where where like we have professionals uh, like playing the next iteration of the bot and he's like mm, your bot is really good at crippling and we are like oh what, what is crippling <laughs> <laughs> i'd say that there is also one one other part of the story that i think is, is interesting and then i think probably we can we can wrap up this part mm -hmm. but uh um 
So to see how well I, you know, because our semi-pro tester had played hundreds of games against this bot over the past, you know, couple months. And so we wanted to see just how does he benchmark relative to RTZ. Um, and so we had him play against RTZ and, you know, RTZ was up the whole game. Uh, it was just like beating him to the last hit by like 500 milliseconds every single time. And so our semi-pro was like, all right, I've got one last ditch effort to go try this strategy that the bot always does to me. <laughs> and it's like some, some, you know, strategy where you like do something complicated and then you like triple wave the, 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 your opponent, you get him under the tower, you have regen you, you go and you, you go in for the kill um and he did it and it worked whoa and this was the 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 bot had like taught him the strategy that yeah. he could use against a human uh and i think that was like very interesting and a good example of the kinds of things that you can get out of these systems that they can discover these very sort of you know non-obvious strategies that can actually be taught to humans and how did it go with smell uh, so with Sumail, we, we, we went undefeated. I, I, and uh, I think it was 5-0 that, that day. Um, one thing that's actually interesting, so we'll probably blog about this in, in upcoming weeks. Um, but we've actually been playing against uh, a bunch of pros since then. So we, it's, uh, our bot has been very high demand <laughs> and some of these pros have been live streaming it. Um, and th- so we've gotten a better sense of, uh, of kind of watching as humans go from, uh, uh, you know, just being completely unable to beat it to if you play against it for long enough, you can actually get pretty good. Um, and so, uh, uh th- there's actually a very interesting, uh, uh, you know, set of stats there that, uh, you know, we'll be, uh, kind of pulling and, uh, and analyzing in a bit. Are there humans that consistently beat the bot today? Yeah, so I think there's one who is, has like a 20% win rate or something. I think it, it might be actually 30. All right. Uh, and that player played hundreds of games. With the bot. And just finds strategies to exploit. Uh, no, actually. It becomes essentially as good as the bot really? uh, at what the bot is doing. Which mm. you find extremely surprising, but it turns out that... Uh, he played hundreds of games with it, so it's, it's actually. And is he a, a top player? Like, does he beat yeah. most humans? These, okay. these are these, these are all professionals. Okay, like it's not just some random kid who's good at beating the bot. That, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> like the way the way to think about this is that, like, yeah, I mean, the, being a professional video game player is a pretty high bar. Yeah, I think everyone wants to be a professional video game player. <laughs> um, you know, who who play these games and the, the number of pros is very small. Um, and there are some who I uh, have really like you know when you're playing hundreds of games against it. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna get very very good at at the things that it does. Um, and so talking to Artizi, um, one I was asking him, does, has it changed your playstyle at all? And he said he thinks that that the thing that it's done for him is it's helped him focus more. Because hmm. um, like you know while you're just there in lane last hitting, now suddenly like that's just so rote, right? Because you just have been doing it so much, you've gotten so good at it. And I think that one really interesting thing to see is going to be how can you improve? Can you improve human playstyle? Can you change human playstyle? And uh, and I think that we're starting to see some positive answers in, in that direction. So I know we're almost out of time. I could do like a little lightning round and just quickly go through that some of these be, questions, uh, guys. Actually, like to the question of like what kind of skills uh, you, yeah. you need to, to work out of an AI, could we have like a very small... Demo? That was going to be the first lightning round question. So so, so specific list of things uh, that, that we found very useful, uh, at least in, in the Dota team. Uh, is uh, some knowledge of uh, distributed systems because uh, we build a lot of those and those are easy to uh, not do properly. Uh, and another uh, thing that, that we found very important is actually writing back free code. Uh, essentially, essentially, I, I know it's kind of taken for granted in computer science community that like everybody makes bugs and so on, but here it's even more important than other projects that you minimize it because they're very hard to debug. Mm. Um, specifically, uh, many bugs manifest in kind of lower training performance where to get that number, it takes a day. And in like a spree of hundreds of commits, it's, it's really easy to miss. Uh, so, and primary way of debugging this is actually reading the code. So, mm. so every bug has a very high cost associated with it. So, so actually writing like this correct, Bug free code uh, is is quite important to us, and we sometimes actually kind of sacrifice good engineering habits, good good kind of code modularity to make our code shorter uh, and simpler, and kind of having less essentially less lines where you can make bugs. Um, and I guess lastly, I, as as we mentioned, like primary skill is good engineering, but if somebody really feels like, gosh, I really need to brush up my maps. I, I really need to kind of go in there and, and feel comfortable, like not, not have like 
somebody asked me a question about Mazda and then then I, I, I think mostly like getting good basics in linear algebra in linear algebra and um, in, in basic statistics that's especially when doing experiments it's easy to make like elementary statistics mistakes uh, and 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 linear algebra is just kind of most of what you need to know to like basic optimization as well uh, to, to 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 follow what's what's happening in those models but but this is kind of Compared to being a good engineer, quite easy to pick up, at least in project like the one we are doing. Yeah, I, so I wanted to talk about some non-technical skills that I think are, are really important. Um, so one is uh, that I think that there's like a real humility that's required uh, if you're coming from an engineering background like I am uh, and working working in these these projects where you're you're no longer the technical expert in the way that you're used to, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, if you go and you build, you talk to, you talk to like, you know, you go say you want to build a product for doctors, right? I think you can talk to 10 doctors and honestly, whatever thing you're going to build is probably going to be a pretty valuable addition to their workflow because doctors can't really build their own software tools. You know, mm-hmm. maybe some can, but you know, in, as a general rule, no. Um, whereas with machine learning research, you know, everyone that you're working with is very technical, can build their own tools. Mm-hmm. But if you inject engineering discipline in the right place, if you build the right tool at the right time, if you kind of look at the workflow and think about, oh, we could do it in this other way, that's where you can really add a bunch of value. And so I think it's about knowing when to inject the engineering discipline, but also knowing when not to. And being, you know, to, to Shimon's point, you know, sometimes, well, we really just want the really short code because we're really terrified of bugs. And uh, and so that can yield different choices than you might expect for something that's just a pure production system. Who writes the least bugs at all of OpenAI? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a contentious question. <laughs> Actually, that's a good... <laughs> What's the question? Who writes the least bugs per line of code at all of OpenAI? I'm definitely not going to say me. Possibly, Jakub. Yeah, it's I, hard to say. But it's yeah, it's, it's really hard. To say. It okay. could be Greg. I I, <laughs> I read I read a lot of bugs. I caught Jakub the least amount of times on bugs. So okay. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's it's more okay to have bugs that are going to cause exceptions. Right, and my bugs usually cause exceptions. Right. So that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's what you don't want is the things that cause correctness issues where it gets ten percent worse. Yeah. Um, so there was another question related to skills. Um, but this is for non-technical people. Yep. Uh, so Tim Biko asks, how can uh, non-technical people be helpful to AI startups? Well, I, I, I was going to say, I think, I think one important thing is that for AI generally right now, I think there's a lot of noise. And I think it can be hard to distinguish what is real from what's not. I think just like simply educating yourself, I think is like a pretty important thing. Like, I think it's very clear that AI is going to have a pretty big impact. Um, and, you know, that's just look at what's already been created and extrapolate that without any new technology development, any new research. And it's pretty clear that it's going to be baked into lots of different systems. There are a lot of ethical issues to work through. Um, and I think that being kind of a voice in those conversations and educating yourself, I think is like a really important thing. And then you look to, well, what are we going to be able to develop next? And I think that that's where the really transformative stuff is going to come. Okay. Uh, I once saw a post of Greg's rescue time report and was pretty shocked. Do you have any advice for workers for working such long focused hours? (laughs) I think it's not a good goal. I would not have a goal of trying to maximize the number of hours you sit at your computer. For me, I do it because I love it. And that, the thing that the activity that I love most in the world is when you're in the zone writing code, producing it for something that's meaningful and worthwhile. And so I think that as a second order effect, it can be good. Um, but I wouldn't say that like that is the way to have an impact. I will also say more specifically, the only way I've ever seen people be super productive is if they're doing something they love. There is nothing else that will sustain you over a long enough period of time. Um, okay. Is the term AI overused by many startups just to look good in the press? Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. <laughs> what is the last job that will remain as AI starts to do everything else? The last human job. Like, what is going to be the hardest thing for AI to do? It's it's it is a hard question to answer in general. Because um, I think it's actually not AI researcher. The AI researcher will will kind of go before. Yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah. it's actually very interesting when you ask people this question. I think that everyone tends to say whatever their job is as, yeah. a, as the hardest one. Um, but I actually think that AI research is going to be one that you're going to want to make these systems very good at doing. Totally. I think the last question, maybe this is obvious, is um, can you just connect the dots between how playing video games is relevant to building AGI? 
Yeah. It's actually maybe one of the most surprising things to me, the degree to which games end up being used for AI research. And the real thing that you want, right, is you really want to have algorithms that are operating in complex environments where they can learn skills and that you want to increase the complexity of those skills that they learn. And that's either you push the environment, you push the complexity of the algorithms, you scale these things up, and that that's really the path that you want to take to building really powerful systems. Um, so games are great because they are a prepackaged environment that some other humans have spent time sort of making, first of all, putting in a lot of complexity, making sure that there's like actual intellectual things to solve there, um, or not even just intellectual, but, you know, like interesting mechanical challenges um, that you you kind of uh, can get human level baselines on them. So you know exactly how hard they are, uh, that uh, they're, they're very nice, uh, unlike, you know, something like robotics, where you can just run them entirely virtually mm. and uh, and that... That means you can scale them up and you can run many copies of them. And so they're a very convenient test bed. And I think what you're going to see is that there's a lot of work that's going to be done in games. But the goal is, of course, bring it out of the game and actually use it to solve problems in the real world and to actually you know, be able to interact with humans and do useful things there. So I think they're, they're a very good sort of starter and a very good place to, like, I think one thing that I really like about this Dota project and bringing it to all these pros is that we're all going to be interacting with super advanced AI systems in the future. And right now, I think we don't really have good intuitions as to how they operate, where they fail, what it's like to, to interact with them. And that this is a very low stakes way of having your first interaction with very advanced AI technology. Cool. If someone wants to get involved with OpenAI, what should they do? Uh, well, we have a job uh, posting uh, at our website. Um, I guess the the tips that us giving about uh, how to get a job at OpenAI are very geared towards the specific job mm -hmm. posting that we have there, which is a large-scale reinforcement learning engineer. Yeah, cool. But, yeah. And in, in general, we look for people who are very good at whatever technical access they specialize in, and we can use lots of different specialties. Great. All right. Thanks, yeah. guys. Just to echo that, like everyone thinks they have to be an AI PhD. Not true. Neither of these guys are. Um, all right. Thanks a lot. Cool. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. So as always, the video and transcript are at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have a second, please subscribe and review the show. All right. See you next week.